Good morning. The scripture reading comes from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Hear the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the, life, has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you to hear your words. Would you be within our midst? For Father, we know that when your spirit is here and your word is proclaimed, Lord Father, your people are changed. And that is what we desire. We come here expecting change. We come here expecting to encounter the personable God. And may that be true for every single one of us as we hear your word. Be with me as I speak your words. Be with your people as they hear your words. And together may we be moved and transformed by these powerful and magical words that you have given to us. May all glory be given to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a popular term in our culture. Um, actually in politics called born-again Christians. We have evangelical Christians and born-again Christians, and I want to define what these terms are. I'm not going to go into evangelicals um, because it's now a loaded term. Uh, it's become a political term, and it's not very helpful now um, using that terminology. But neither is born-again. Uh, we would think that born-again is a, a terminology that we can use, but so many people use it in different ways. Are you really born again? Um, do you believe that you have been um, changed by God? Or have you been on a personal change? Are you born again and that you want a new chance on life? And so even there, it's a little bit confusing. And so what I suggest is that we should all go around and say that we have been born of God. Now that makes us seem a little bit crazy, right? Born again is a little bit more socially acceptable. It's like, yeah, you're born again, I'm born again, we're all born again. But you come up to someone and says, I am born of God, they go, whoa, kind of crazy. Thinks too highly of himself or herself. But I think this is John trying to clarify this terminology he used. Because in the fourth gospel, John talked about being born again. And at that point, it was confusing. 
When he first talked about being born again to Nicodemus, Nicodemus says, I don't get what you're talking about. How do you climb back into your mother's womb? What do you mean being born again? And even with this, a lot of the people in the community ran with it, and it got all jumbled up. And so John had to come back and write this letter and said, no, what I mean is that you have been born of God. And so this is what I want us to look at and consider. What does it mean to be born of God, and what does it mean for our life altogether? This sermon has four points. Um, I don't know if I'm getting better or lazier, but it has four points. It's a new father. What it means to be born of God, it means we have a new father. It means we have a new love. It also means we have new confidence, and ultimately it means we have a new life. So pretty basic, and I'll go over those points um, and reiterate them as I get to them. So first, John chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, what does this mean? Are we talking metaphorically or are we talking about actual reality? And here, this is a distinction that we have to make because in this church, what we believe is that God is a real spiritual being. And so what we say that you have been born of God, we are talking about reality. This is not a metaphor. This is what is actually happening in reality, in the world. Oftentimes we just think that the physical reality is reality, and whatever is spiritual is myth or made up. But in our worldview, uh, the spiritual is just as real as the physical. So every point that I make here, I am making as an actual point that is happening in this world that has actually happened. So what does it mean when we confess that Jesus is the Christ and we have been born of God? It means God has chosen you and has given you a new life. God has chosen you to be his child in this world and in the world to come. What this means ultimately is that God is your new father. God is your father in reality. When you confess that Jesus is the Christ, it means God is now your new parent. He has given birth to you. So what does this mean? If you've had an excellent relationship with your father, that is wonderful, that is great. But if you have been born of God, it means God is your new father in reality. And if you've had a bad relationship with your father, this too also means that God is your new father in reality. For both, for it doesn't matter what your relationship has been with your father, the new reality that has been set forth for the Christian is that God is now your actual father. We can say spiritual father, but what's the difference? 
It's the same thing. God is the one who is now going to take care of you. God is the one who is going to commune with you. God is the one who's going to lift you up and give you the words that you need. God is the Father that you are going to have for the rest of your life, in this life and in the life to come. And this means something else, that when you have been born of God, that God chose you, that you did not choose God. It says in Ephesians this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. God has chosen you to be his. You did not choose him. It's equivalent for a child becoming aware of himself or herself and looking to her his father or her father, and saying, Daddy, I love you. That does not mean that that child chose the father. It's just a realization of what has already been true since the beginning of their existence. The grammar here in 1 John chapter 5, 1 is important. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And we're getting a little bit technical here, but this is in the Greek, the perfect tense. And what does that mean? It means that this event happened in the past and continues to the beginning. Which means that God, your new father, has always been your father and has always loved you since the beginning of time. And it was his initiative to make sure that you realize that he is your true father. In which when you turn to God and say, God, I love you. God says, I know. I loved you since the beginning of time. And here is the great comfort of this realization that we are born again. We did not choose God. We did not come to a point in our lives where we suddenly realized, I think I need God in my life. It's just that our eyes have opened up to reality. Just like the, childly the child finally realized, oh, this is my father. Oh, I love him. We chose our Father as much as we chose our Father here on earth, which is that we had no choice. But God, now choosing us, now being our new Father, has also given us a new heart. When we begin to realize that God is now our new Father, we begin to realize that we have an altogether new love much in the same way as the child begins to realize that the world does not center around him or her. And that's what's happening from ages one to two. They think they are the only important person in the world, that they're the only ones that exist. But as they begin to realize their mom and dad, they say, whoa, you know what? I do love other people. It's an all essential new love that forms in the child's heart. In 1B, this is what it says. It says, and everyone who loves the Father loves who has born, been born of him. I don't want to dwell on this part too much, but yes, when God becomes your Father and that becomes known to you, you begin to love God. 
But that's not all that you love. You begin to love your brothers and your sisters. Whoever has been born of God, meaning whoever confesses that Jesus is the Christ, you are to love them too. And that love becomes natural and spiritual. And we love our brothers and sisters who confess that Jesus is the Christ. Now, that is something that is popular, and that is something that we say very often, and everyone says, yes, if you're Christian, you have to love God. Yes, love your brothers and your sisters. But here is the verse that usually gets left out, verse 2. How do you love God? How do you love your brothers and your sister? By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. It is when you keep the commandments of God is when you love God. It is when you keep the commandments of God that you truly love your brother and your sister. Now, people revile at that. And understandably so, a lot of the times that when we're in church, we just talk about Christianity as a religion of rules and following commandments is uh, brainwashing. But we have to understand what these commandments are. This is God revealing himself to us. These commandments are not arbitrary. They're not go get me that coffee or go get me that soda. This is how I am loved. I remember this one movie that I saw. Now, don't, don't judge me. It was, I do it when I'm um, working. It's called How to Be a Latin Lover. <laughs> I wasn't doing any research, but it seemed like a feel-good movie with Salma Hayek. And I remember it was about this male um, gold digger who only went after older women who were rich. And he was telling this young kid, this is how you love women. And she's like, yeah, how do I get this girl to like me? It's like, women... They don't know what they want. So if they say, I want the salad, you say, no, I'm giving you the steak. If they say, I want cola, you say, no, I'm giving you um, whatever drink that you want. And so to the boy, like, this is quite weird. And he didn't really take it. But I thought of that scene and how oftentimes people do that to God. God is saying, this is how I want to be loved. And say, God, no, you don't want that. Trust me. I got this. I know you say love your brothers and sisters, but I, that's not what you want. This is what you want. And now oftentimes people say, how could God say those things? How can God command those things? And oftentimes we respond back and say, God, I know that's not what you really want. I'm going to tell you what to do. And in many ways, it's very disrespectful. God's commandments are not to control your life. God is showing you his commandments because the commandments are who he is. And he says, this, if you want to be in relationship with me, follow these commandments. And what are the commandments? They are summarized here in the book of John, which is love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your brothers and sisters as you would yourself. And this is also a summary of the Ten Commandments. And I want us to quickly go over the first four commandments, the ones where it seems so close-minded, it seems so hard to follow. What are the first four commandments that God has given to his people? It is first, to have no other gods before him. Second, to have no images of him and to not worship him. Third is to take the name of God seriously. And fourth is to observe the Sabbath. 
And when people hear that, they think that's just too much. But is it really? I thought about it in dating terms or in marriage terms. Is it too much to ask if Christine comes up to me and says, I just have four things that I want you to do for me. First, you can't have any other wife. Next, when you take pictures of me, please don't Photoshop them. <laughs> I think I'm already beautiful. Please don't change the images of who I am to make them to your image of what you think I am. Now, this is a serious thing. I, we make light of it, but that's exactly what God is saying. You cannot capture my beauty and my glory. Do not try. Third, Christine says, take me seriously. Is that such a difficult request? No, it's an honest request that we take God seriously and not flippantly, and then observe the Sabbath. If Christine just said, give me one, pay attention to me for one day out of the week, that's all I ask. Would that be too much? But here's the reality. It is a lot. It is, because we are sinners. And, but to, all, to go back and say this, this is why John says, and his commandments are not burdensome. These are not hard things to do. These are not th things that we should complain about. Yet, I'm there with you. I complain about them. But John just wants us to be clear that these are not burdensome tasks or activities. And oftentimes, many Christians get discouraged because they say, yes, these are burdensome, though. It is tough for me to do these things. But I want us to just clarify that word burdensome. When God is your father, your desire generally is to love him. That word burdensome is the same word that is used during the time of slavery for the Israelites. When Pharaoh had given the task of making all those bricks, the feeling that they had was this deep burden. When you see the laws of God and you flow into a state of depression, my word to you is this, you have not yet encountered the God of the Bible. And what, if you think you have, you are mistaken. If you are compelled to a deep distraught, I would say maybe you have not been born again. Because even though that these may seem irksome, they are definitely are not burdensome. And I do want to make that distinction because some Christians feel guilty that these things look burdensome, but we're using the word burden completely wrong. When we see God, we understand that there is a love there. And we fall short, not because the commandments are burdensome, but we fall short because we're sinners. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with God. There's something wrong with us. Yes, when we get married, yes, I promise to have one wife. Yes, I promise to do these things. When your mom and dad get married, yes, we will try these basic four things, but we can't. When we become a Christian, yes, observe these four things, but we can't. And it's because of our sin. All of us are sinners. 
And just simply by our own will, we will falter in our relationship with God. But remember, that's why John says you are born of God. God has taken the initiative and God has done everything. And so that is why God has also given you the power to do these things. When we say that we are born of God, we do have a new confidence that is bestowed upon us. Verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. When you begin to realize that God is your father, you begin to realize what God has done for you in his son, Jesus Christ. He has given you the tools and the power necessary to love God with all your heart and with all your soul. It is not something that we need to foster, but it is something that is given to us when we confess that Jesus is the Christ. We no longer have to be scared to love. Now, what does it mean to have this confidence? What does it mean that we have overcome the world? Now, again, this is one of those verses have been misused before. It has been used when people are going through a difficult time in life. Yes, God will help you, but this is maybe not the best verse. Or maybe you're working out and you can't lift a heavy weight. This is not the verse you should use to motivate you. When you say, I have overcome the world, it is in the context of this letter. And what it means is simply this, that you should have all the confidence in the world to love God and to love your brother and your sister. The scariest things that we are called to do as a Christian is not to come to church, but is to love one another and to love God. It's terrifying loving one another. First, there are those people who just hate being vulnerable. What if they find out who I truly am? I'll be judged. And God says, it's okay. Just love them. I love you more than you will ever know. Be vulnerable with one another. There are others who do not love because when they love someone, they feel that they may get rejected. And here's the reality. You will probably get rejected. But God says, it is okay because I have accepted you. Love that brother and sister. And even if that brother or sister rejects you, continue loving them anyway. It's a scary thought, isn't it? Or maybe if God has called you to missions, to go abroad, and we begin to think, I can't love in that way. I can't give up everything that I have here in New York, in Astoria, to go abroad to serve the Lord. But God says, love anyway. You have overcome the world. I am with you. Be bold in your love. Be bold in the powers that I have given you. Be bold so that you may have a fulfilling life. Because at the end of the day, that is what matters most, how much we have loved. The whole goal in this earth is not to get everyone to love us. That is not the goal. The goal on this earth is to love as many people as you can, despite them loving you back or not. 
One goal that every Christian should have at the end of their life is simply that I have loved many, many people. <laughs> and the reality is you may, no one there had loved you back. Many missionaries have gone to places where they were never accepted, yet the missionaries loved them more than they loved anything. And they love those people. And generations later, people feel the love of God. The goal, again, is not for the people to love you back. The goal is to learn how to love in heavenly and immeasurable ways. So when you are born of God, you have a new father, a new love, and a new confidence. But ultimately, what this can be summarized in is that ultimately you have a new life. You have a new life. Now John goes back and introduces Jesus once again. He says, Jesus came by water and blood, verse 6. This is he who came by water, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And it seems weird that John would insert this once again. But if we remember the context, it's very important that John is continually reminding these people that your faith, your love, your confidence is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't know exactly what water and blood are referring to, but most likely what John is talking about is the baptism received by water. Because we know that's how John talked about new creation or the new baptism that has come with Christ. It is by the water and the spirit. And so what happened from this point into the point of the letter is that people started probably only thinking that the baptism was important. As long as you have the Holy Spirit, as long as you're a new creation, everything is good. So you know these three points, you have a new father, you have um, a new love, you have a new confidence. You can have all those things without Jesus Christ, which is probably what these people taught and which is still taught today. Yes, I've been baptized. Yeah, I'm spiritual. Yeah, I have the Holy Spirit. But John says, no, there's one important thing you still need. You still need Jesus Christ. The Spirit comes from Jesus Christ by water and blood. Remember, these people who had split from this community were saying that Jesus' life on earth was probably not that important. Or that Jesus did not actually come in the flesh. But here John is reminding us again of the gospel that we need to attach the Holy Spirit to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and to the resurrection. You cannot have some free floating spirit. You cannot just believe whatever you want. You cannot simply do these things. What we need to continually remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus Christ in the flesh who has been crucified and was resurrected. The spirit attached to that historical reality is the Christian faith. If you try to have the Holy Spirit without Jesus Christ and the crucifixion, you do not have the Holy Spirit. And John is clear, you possess the spirit, most likely, of the devil. And that's clear. We believe that Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again. And it is the spirit that he sent 
that gives us all these things, that gives us the realization that God is the new father, that God is the one who gives us the new love, that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has given us the new confidence. And with all this, John reminds us clearly and plainly, all this means that you have a new life now and forevermore. And this is the comfort of the Christian life, ultimately, that we will spend an eternity with Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, that this love that we are beginning to experience now will only become greater in heaven. This new confidence that we have will only continue to grow as we begin to understand how the Spirit is working with us. And our relationship with God the Father and following His commandments to love will only continue to grow as we reflect upon who Jesus, the Christ, is. And it is then we will feel the great comfort and understand that we have been privileged and honored, that we are born of God. Brothers and sisters, there is no reason that our confidence should ever be shaken in the gospel. We did nothing to come in here. It is by the grace of God that we can stand before him today and say, God, you are mine. Though the world will call us names and the world will say we're crazy, that the world will say, who do you think you are that you are born of God? We can reply with a smile and with grace to the world and say, it is God who has chosen me through his son, Jesus Christ. Won't you come and join me in understanding this great heavenly love that has come from above? Brothers and sisters, this is the confidence that we have and our Lord and Savior. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reality. We thank you of the truth and of the love that you have given us, that you are now our Father, and that we are born of you. May we boldly proclaim to the world that we have been born of God, that does not mean that we are in a place of power, but it just means that we are sinners and now we are loved. And that the great desire of the church is nothing more than to share this love, this compassion with the world. Father, may we learn to love each other, but may we also learn to love the world. Father, because you are worthy and you deserve to be praised. May our glory and honor be given unto you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.